Oh, urine specific, yes. urine specific gravity, like USG, you know, PT. Ah, yeah. And then mod- modified RSI, our active strength index, just a measure of, you can measure as a neuromuscular fatigue. So for us, we would basically look at, has, has that changed from, or what has the change been from the week or from the game? And then is the person fatigued or not? And then how do we manipulate that for their session? So yeah, one thing that, you know, we, we used Hawken at, uh, at, at Philly. And one thing I love about the system is there's a traffic light system. So basically if it's, if, it, if they're two standard deviations down, it goes red and you can say, okay, all right, hey, let's do another test now again. And, and they go again. Yep, it's red. All right, great. Let's let's go over to the uh, medical team, have a quick chat about what the progression is. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host, and today my guest is Jade Tanich, who's the Managing Director at Asia-Specific Hawkins Dynamic. And our key topic for today's chat is discussing around the most effective methods to monitor load in team sport athletes. So for any sports scientists, SCs, high-performance managers, make sure to get the notepad out. If you're tuning in live on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, feel free to send through some questions, as I'm sure we'll find some time a little bit later on the show. But Welcome, James. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Really looking forward to our chat. Thank you. Yep, I've been uh, been a fan podcast for a while now. I'm watching it live a few times, so it's uh, it's great to be on. Oh, fantastic! It's good good to know we've got a couple of listeners, mate. Um, <laughs> but for those that are uh, aren't aware of your background, uh, do you mind providing you know so how you started the industry, your passion for it, and work experience you've done along the way? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Always been really interested in sport, just in general. Growing up, you know, played a bunch of different sports as we all do, and then realized early on that i didn't have the the elite capabilities quite a quite a slow twitch muscle fiber kind of guy so yeah just really kind of went for you know applied science degree in human movement at UniSA and completed that and then you know i was lucky enough to get an internship with port adelaide and kind of did six months there and during that period ended up actually doing a student exchange program in the u.s over to colorado state so was anyone like from a uni like university standpoint or students that are thinking about doing student exchange, I, I highly recommend it. Not just for enjoying the time there, but then also just for like learning a different culture. And and that's probably where I started to kind of fall in love with like the American side of things, American sport. And then from there, once I once I ended up getting back, ended up getting lucky enough to get my you know foot in the door with the Crows with Stephen Schwert, who was head fitness coach then. He's, he's now at Saka. And uh, yeah, I guess yeah, my first first day on the job was or really my my interview was going out the back and and kicking a ball with Andrew McLeod so I kind of had my first my first taste of elite sport was you know getting asked whether my kick was okay and then going outside and doing some rehab with you know someone I'd idolized growing up and that's kind of when I kind of got the bug for elite sport and and wanting to grind and, and kind of go through so yeah ended up you know volunteering for a couple of years at the Crows and then end up in a full-time job there we can talk about that in more detail later I guess and and then you know, I went to Brisbane, Brisbane Lions for a couple of years, you know, kind of morphing into the more of the sports science role. Started the Crows when kind of GPS had just come out and you know, we had the old yellow brick GP sports units that were the size of a, you know, Nokia, what was it, 90, 9110, I can't remember what it was anymore. And and then you know, obviously now it's changed a lot. But uh, yeah, and then you know, I was at Brisbane, uh, yeah, got a got a call from University of Oregon in the US and asked whether I'd be interested in, in heading over there. 
and and then yeah the answer was yes so yeah head over to Oregon we were there for a couple of years and just so as it is with sport the the head coach there went to the NFL a couple of years later he called and so then then went over to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and then the same time I worked there I finished my master's degree in high performance sport as well ACU and uh, yeah I was there for seven years and then now yeah really you know fortunate to to work for Hawker Dynamics uh, force plate uh, performance company. Um, which was originally, it is out of the US, out of Maine, uh, but we started a whole subsidiary here in Australia and, and I help uh, manage and run uh, Asia Pacific from from our uh, our section here. So uh, yeah, uh, had a had an awesome career, particularly elite sport and, and really enjoying this next phase uh, as well. I've got three kids, so making a move away from kind of the daily grind and minutiae of uh, sport and now having some more fun with um, how to apply that with a whole breadth of different customers and, and regions from private to sport to university um, has really been a big blessing as well. So that's a really short nutshell of, uh, of a career, but uh, there's there's a little taste of it, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. It provides good context for, for our chat. Going back to yeah, those thick GPS units, you know, the industry has grown a lot in terms of sports science, technology, and, and AFL was probably leading the way in terms of GPS, um, but now you know, with the, the ease of use of force decks, the force plates, uh, data, yeah, there's been lots of inroads in, in that space. Is it something that you saw early on? Like you mentioned the passion for working over in the States uh, and something you recognised early on in your career, but what about uh, from the technology point of view or did that passion sort of grow as the industry sort of grew and developed? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, it, when I had first started, biomechanics was certainly something that you needed to focus on, right? Like you needed a master's degree in biomechanical research or engineering degree to even kind of run the system, let alone kind of deduce information from it. So it was really when I got into into Philly and we started looking at that side of things in more detail, kind of like Dari had come out, which was kind of that markerless system. Uh, we looked at Simi, which was like a which was a mark like markerless system, but had a marker aspect to it as well. And researching Ficon and, and all those other things, you know, it was as a time when it was a big need for us in terms of like how do we measure performance. And, and apply that to the field. So from the weight room into the onto the field, and particularly with you know, NFL athletes or if you're here in Australia, rugby athletes, understanding like the power component and the and the changes in that. And then I guess my passion really aligned in the end with uh, like player development. So understanding that first second year player or athlete, and then like how do we progress them as quickly as possible? And I think we see that a lot in AFL now where. Almost the first year players, especially the first round picks, need to actually play that first year. And that there's that similar application in the NFL as well. Like you're paying, if you're the first or second pick, you might be doing a signing bonus of $20 million, right, on that on the draft day. Like they need to play that year. So I need to play at a high level. So how do we get them there as quickly as possible? And, and you know, what are the markers that we want to look for when kind of producing that to when comparison to the, to the veterans in that group? Or the job that's required for them as well. So, yeah, I think as as the as my years went on, that that probably love for the performance and force output metrics superseded that of like your running loading metrics. But you can combine them together as well and, and get a pretty good holistic look at you know how do we how do we join the weight room and the field together, have some synergy between the two, and communicating that across from both like coaching like strength coaching staff. But they're also pushing that across to the coaching staff on the field as well. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, in terms of the first, second year players, like, do you think 
getting closer with the coaches and, and identifying of those high draft picks and, and your team dynamics, who's more than likely going to be a significant player in the team for, for the season upcoming over, you know, preparing their preseason to that influence their load compared to on field to, to gym. Whereas, you know, someone that might be a four years away, more of that athlete development sort of maturation, taking them through the fundamentals approach or, or should, you know, their skill and, and talent level not influence, I guess, their physical development. How do you sort of yeah, answer that? Um, I think that's a great question. My my brain goes to, you know, what is, you know, what's the goal? And I guess the, the way that I kind of think about things is more in that like, you know, methodical approach about every single you, you want to say that every athlete is the same, right? You you treat them the same, but the reality is that you know if you're in the NFL, like QB one, like the first string quarterback who's playing, is is one of the most important people uh, that you need to care for. But you also have to realize that injuries happen; uh, they're part of the game, and that any of those lower tier people will need to step up during that time. Uh, and I think like we found that out in our uh, 2017 season, leading up to the Super Bowl, was. Uh, you know, we had a we had a bunch of injuries come out that were just random, you know, random occurrences, ACLs and navicular fractures and stuff that you like you can't really predict or prepare for. And it's really the next man up mentality. And if you treat your play development process like that, then then I think you can great, create a great process and and method to developing people as quickly as possible as well. So I've kind of roundabout answered that, but I guess I would. I'd probably treat everyone the same because you never know what's going to come down the pipeline, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so prioritise, so make sure that everyone's ready because you never know when you need it to rely on them to play. Right? Yeah. To be far ahead. And I think you can do that with a couple of strategies and that's you know having a different program and almost like a testing. One thing that I, I really like to do is we all talk about like the periodization of training, right? Like whether it's a weight room or on the field, um, how we combine those two together and get like a program that that you know is hopefully building in preparation for a season or a process. I like to do that in terms of kind of our sports science periodization. So how do we how do we periodize our testing and monitoring process uh, within that? So whenever myself or strength staff or whoever the coach write down the periodization program in terms of our training, would like would also do that in terms of our testing uh, process. So this first and second year players, We'd write a you know, testing and monitoring program that was different to our veterans and that was different to our kind of core you know age groups as well. So there's definitely like a different process about that. So like the you know instead of maybe you're doing let's say doing a, a mid thigh pull on the force plates once every three months for your veteran players, maybe you're doing that once every two weeks or once every week for your you know for your development players because you want to really get a gauge about continued improvement. So once you know, once those other players have hit their plateau, you don't really need to see uh, that level of data in that specific example as as frequently. But maybe for the veterans, it's a like the fatigue markers are more important. So let's do HRV or something else with the veterans, and but the but you don't need to do that for your you know for your first year players so much uh, because they're getting recovery on the weekend because they're not playing. If that makes sense, so that's one part for me that I that I really like. And that actually came about, I think this is going to sound a little silly, but I kind of like learning from very random, random areas. And one, for some reason, I watched the September issue, which is like Vogue documentary or the magazine. And it kind of hit home to me, like when they're doing editorial, they're, you know, they have a whole bunch of different pages and articles and photos that are all, and they're basically matching those all together on the wall. 
And so I like kind of use that same process. I I throw up what are important for all the different areas that we have, and then basically wall map all those different areas together to create that kind of synergy between the you know sports science testing, monitoring, performance outcomes for what we want to see and what we plan for, and then also what we plan and our actuals for our periodization on the field and in the weight room as well. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's not something you hear about all the time, periodizing the testing, obviously periodizing training, both on the field and the gym, but makes a lot of sense to periodize testing as well and, and yeah, have a different approach depending on the, the demographic. Going back to your career, mate, the highlights that you're sort of proud of and, and that you've experienced over over your career? Yeah, sure. I mean, we kind of talked about it, but yeah, highlight number one was certainly kicking the ball with Andrew McLeod on that, on that first day. I think that was something that really ignited passion and and like the idea that this could actually be a career and so i look i look back on that really fondly especially just how it happened you know i was in the office and you know steve Schwer is is like oh how's your leg and i was like oh it's okay when say it's great he's like oh, i'll go test for you and then roll it back and, and have fun i think i missed one kick so it was a good day but awesome. yeah definitely that was a that definite highlight yeah like you know first first game and moment in oregon kind of uh you know seeing the kind of college football craziness and you know when when the building was first like the football complex in Oregon was first built kind of moving into my office there it was pretty surreal it's a yeah it's a pretty interesting place I was lucky enough to you know go on uh, Phil Knight who's the owner of Nike go on you know go on his private jet and travel around and look at sports science equipment and facilities and stuff like that so that's definitely a highlight of my career for sure, but uh, also within that was the conversation with the staff and kind of the bonding side of things. We had a really tight-knit group at Oregon and have so much respect for those guys. And yeah, we just had an absolute blast because we were all kind of learning together. It was the first time that there had been really any sports science in college sport. So it was, it was great to kind of learn and, and bounce different ideas about, you know, you've got 130 athletes in the football team. And so how, how do you manage that all together? Uh, especially from like a low monitoring standpoint. So kind of learning the nuances of the game and the culture and all those things. And then, yeah, I mean, at the Eagles, like, you know, can't go past the Super Bowl. Obviously, like winning that was incredible. The, yeah, the, the, you know, the ceremony at the end of the ring ceremony was ridiculous. And, you know, two things with that would be, you know, I was so lucky that my, uh, my family were over, like my brother and sister-in-law were there for the game before, ended up staying for the Super Bowl game and came over to Minnesota and we traveled with them. And so it was amazing to share that with, you know, people that had been had helped us so much over time. But honestly, my favorite part probably of all was the week before that, you know, we, we played at home in the, you know, in the in the championship game. And and it was more the fact that uh, my wife was able to run into the field and all like all our all our partners were able to run into the field after the game and we all celebrated like we're going to the Super Bowl. It's ridiculous. And that was honestly probably my favorite part was, yeah, everyone running on the field together and, and like have some huge celebration. And it's so much about the process. I think anyone that I know I've had a few people on that have, you know, won premierships before or, you know, championships, but it's really like the people that you're around and the support network, like elite sports, certainly not for everyone. You do a lot of grinding, a lot of hours. So we need a big network. So being able to celebrate with like all the partners and stuff uh, on that day was certainly a massive, a massive highlight. Yeah, it's fantastic. Some some uh, massive experiences there that uh, anyone would be lucky to have just a couple of those, let alone. Uh, yeah, uh, oh, eventually, yeah, it's certainly amazing. been yeah, been very very fortunate and and enjoyed it. I think honestly, I think the the 
the biggest part for me has been just really enjoying like meeting new people and being a part of some different cultures and yeah, winning or losing aside, that it's it's more about like the people that you're around and enjoying with the family and all those kind of things. That's that's the stuff that's important to me. And we've had some some fantastic experiences along that, just professionally and personally as well. So yeah, super fortunate. Yeah, fantastic. Well deserved. What about on the flip side, mate? Obviously, elite sport comes high pressure. Uh, what have been some of your biggest challenges over your career? And uh, yeah, what did you sort of learn from it, or how did you grow uh, from a professional point of view? Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, as as you kind of go into like further in your career, there's more on the line, right? The more senior you get, the um, kind of the buck stops with you more than anything else. So kind of learn, learning those hard conversations and, and being able to do that in a, you know, very quickly and being quick, quick-witted about your response and, you know, really being armed all the time with uh, what you need. But I think, you know, one of the, my earliest and, and best, it's like the worst and best memory for me was at the Crows. I think it really shaped uh, my career actually and, and kind of my thought process around data management and then the application to coaching staff. I, yeah, so Stephen Schwer invited me to his office or called me in the office uh, one day and, and uh, Neil Craig was the head coach then and he has certainly had a huge impact on me professionally as well. But, you know, Neil, you know, he shut the door, which is never good when you're like your first year. And he just, you know, he just said bluntly, like, who's reading your reports? And I was like, well, I think, you know, Schwerty's reading them and I think you're reading them. He's like, yeah, I read some of them. What about the other coaches? And, you know, like, I don't know. I haven't had a discussion with them, you know. And then from there, he was, you know, you're, he basically goes, no one's reading him. You're failing as a sports scientist. Like, there's, there's really no reason for you to be here. Like, we need you to lift basically and it's pretty much word for word and so you know went out of the office i was pretty rattled you know it's young young kids like you know 22 23 first job in sport and i feel like i could have really gone into the tank on that and basically just gone you know stuff this i'm out but you know i came back the next morning and really just lit the fire and like okay what can i do how do i make this better and it really shaped all those different angles of like where can, where can i pull information from like what can I watch to kind of gain information and, and the way I sell this and how do I get buy-in for this metric or this uh, process? So I think that it really shaped me in terms of the direction. And I use that example a lot when people ask me about kind of advice for the for elite sport. And a lot of it is about like, you know, it's going to be really hard at times. You have like tough conversations, but you really just need to like, you know, flush it and move on or like, yeah, when I was I was lucky enough to Kobe Bryant spoke to our team before he passed away and in Philly and yeah one of his things was basically just you know you flush the toilet when you go to the toilet do the same thing with negative feedback or negative ne- negative things that happen so basically flush it move on and yeah I feel like I learned that at an early phase and that's something that I always tell to people is like you're going to come there's going to be some things that and roadblocks but it's like how you attack that next process of your life as well so yeah that was definitely a big challenge for me from the get-go but it it kind of you know propelled my my mindset moving forward yeah yeah so there's i guess when you process it with that sort of that mindset it can it can come a lot of good i guess in those hard conversations and then like like you mentioned later on when you get in a more senior position you're having to then navigate and probably conduct i imagine those conversations yourself is that something that you Obviously, have everyone has their own different leadership style. That wouldn't have to necessarily be as blunt as probably a Neil Craig approach. But in your yeah. own way, do you feel like for a developing staff member, 
do you intentionally do that from time to time when they're in their sort of developing stage to, I guess, build some urgency uh, within the staff? Um, yeah, yeah. A different approach. Um, I, I would say I probably use a different approach to that. I, I, um, I certainly don't shy away from the hard conversation, but um, I try and pick up on those things earlier. Um, so it's like, here's, here's what attention to detail looks like for me. You know, this, this report, this border is out of line or this color is wrong or this, like this, these are things that need to change in this report to make this acceptable. And, you know, we have high standards and this is the standard and not meeting the standard. So let's get this to standard and then move on. But it's similar with comments and stuff like that. Like if you're writing a comment and you're trying to deduce information out of something, let's, let's think critically about that. If, if you're an exercise or sports scientist, you need, to, you need to be thinking analytically about, you know, what process you use, but more importantly, how like your application, very rarely, unless you're in the research setting, very rarely are we looking for like research answers. We're actually looking for practical answers to, to problems. So yes, I want to hear maybe the research side of things, but I want to hear the practical application. Yeah, I love that you got into all this effort, but if I can't do anything with it, then then what's the point? But I think we've got, you know, a talk on, you know, data application and sports science in a minute anyway. But that's kind of, yeah, my philosophy with that is like, how do we make things practical? I don't even care if it's simple. It simple is sometimes really, really good um, because you can action it and apply it and elicit change and, and talk about it. So, yeah, I guess that's my, my leadership style is more in, the, you know, continued improvement and continual check-in than it is like, oh, we're going to leave you for six months and then see where you come and then whack you and then I'll leave you six months and then yeah. whack you more in the, you know, yeah, just continual progression improvement over time. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's great. Great insight. Yeah, before we move into the topic, you've mentioned a few influencers, David Chair and Neil Craig. Have there been any other uh, mentors, if you like, along the, along your journey that have helped shape your philosophy? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, Burjo, you know, I interned for him very early on. Darren Burgess, for those who don't know, is everywhere. The, you know, he, he always been someone I could reach out to and, and really set uh, for me the bar of uh, get, getting back to people and kind of broadening your network of, you know, if anyone asked me for advice on working overseas or whatever, I always say yes. And he was always uh, very gracious to me in terms of his feedback and help and all those kind of things. And then in terms of influences, I mean, yeah, I mean, Stephen Schwert in, in general, like he started helping me start my career and, you know, put a lot of trust in me and, and we had a lot of fun as well. So, you know, I couldn't thank him enough as well. And then, yeah, honestly, my parents, I think they've had a huge influence on who I am. You know, my dad started his own business and like uh, had taken a lot of risks as well. Uh, and I think that like educated risk is, is really important when you're working with athletes, but then also in your life in terms of where you go. Like I wouldn't have moved over to Oregon and gone to Philly if, uh, if it wasn't for like their influence on me. So my parents for sure as well. And then I guess I, I find it really hard. Sometimes I, f- I feel like people have like these mentors and they're very like, they have like a list of people that they've always reached out to and always, you know, they, c- they can go back to the list all the time. I'm not really that person. I, I actually really enjoy uh, learning from almost everyone. Uh, I feel like every conversation I have with someone in the profession, uh, I, I've almost used that uh, at some point as well um, to either validate something I'm doing or to change my perspective. Um, I've tried to really have a growth mindset across the time and, Certainly, as I've gotten older, the growth mindset has has improved. I feel like I was quite closed early on, and some of those challenges were uh, moving to America early. I think I had it very much like Australia does everything right, rather than like you know American teams win without Australia. So it was is about like okay, well, there's some things that I can apply here that are going to work really well. I think, but you know, this culture and how this happens is actually pretty cool. I like how they do that. So you know, one of the things I noticed coming back to Australia was 
in the weight room, like AFL, like thinking back, like AFL teams, their lifting psychology isn't as aggressive as it is in the US. Like the US, like, you know, the day after the game, we would fly, we'd fly back from, say, Dallas at 6 a.m. in the morning. And be, and because a bunch of the team didn't play, and they're also, you know, a tangent a little bit here, but say AFL, right? Like the, the percentage of load for the game is, let's say it's 60 or 70% of the week is the game and 30% of the week is training. Well, in the US, it's flipped. So training is 70% of, of the week and 30% of, the, of is the game. So from a loading standpoint, the guys can actually lift really heavy at the start of the week or post-game because they haven't actually done that much load in comparison to what they're used to uh, from a training standpoint. So, you know, we would lift basically at 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning on a Monday morning the day after a game, you know. And so it's just a difference in culture. So normally your head goes as like if someone's went to AFL, you're like, man, that is crazy. You should be down at the pool doing recovery and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you're in that culture and it's different and you're looking at different uh, methodology and the guys need to lift heavy because they need to maintain like raw strength and power, it's a different mentality. So I think some of those things have been uh, really interesting for me in terms of like the the different cultures and how and how it works out and the influences on me individually. I've like love taking snippets from everyone um, that I've talked to. So yeah, I'm not that like list of person guy. I'm more of the I've learned from so many people across across my time as well. And it's interesting that I haven't seen that, but I imagine they really embrace that session as well from a lifting point of view. And there's real intent. With that session where you think absolutely right. yeah there's there's juice yeah, yeah. absolutely there's juice going everywhere so that's and that's something that i've noticed is different is you know the the energy and the intent is a great word of those sessions yeah. is you know speakers are up loud it's everyone's fired up it's the, the mentality is, is a little different and, that, and that's just a cultural difference right like it'd be really hard to change that in australia and to get like a real lifting culture also because it hasn't been there like if you're in the u.s you got you know you got high school games that have thirty thousand people go to them in Texas, yeah, you know, yeah. and they lift heavy and they have like strength coaches at a high school level, and then you know college is obviously college sport as well. You got strength coaches who are making five, six, seven hundred thousand a year, and then you got NFL. So like the the progression of the the weight training and the focus on it is is kind of impacted at an early age. So you know if you're if you're someone in Australia who's coming to AFL, the chances are you haven't really been in the gym properly um, until you're eighteen. So, and you get into the AFL system. So, you know, by the time you get into the college or into the NFL system, these guys are, you know, they're, they're doing Olympic lifts at a very high level and which you need a lot of, you need a lot of energy and external cues from rather than just being intrinsically focused, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, big. so in terms of effective load monitoring, I guess, do you want to sort of open up in what does load monitoring mean to yourself, I guess, from a perspective of, let's say, a sports scientist going into a new sport? at a new club, what are some sort of key fundamentals to to understand to put good practices in place, do you think? Sure, yeah. And and I can talk on this in like a holistic sense, but I can also go down and drill down to the one foot view if you want as well. Yeah, I guess, sure. yeah, for me, you know, I was really fortunate when I first got to the Eagles. I uh, We, you know, the owner there is is really big on if, you know, the, all the owners of NFL teams are billionaires, right? So that money's not really a thing. And it's you know if if they have like a certain thing that they that they like and, and kind of sports science and progressing being really progressive in approaches was something that uh, the owner of the Eagles was really passionate about. So you know we did, we had a bunch of different methodologies and and you know went from HRV 
every day, specific gravity testing every day, you know, weigh-in every day, nutrition stuff every day, question force plates, GPS, you know, we had a, you know, kind of visual acuity board, you know, that looked at, you know, reaction time and, and knowledge base every day. So we had, we had a great, very robust like, kind of testing battery down pack. So we had, you know, thousands of data points weekly, tens, tens of thousands weekly that we were, you know, monitoring and being really experimentative with. The, the problem with that and what we learned was we spent so much time in our computers that we that we lacked the kind of one-on-one conversation with the athletes and and really getting to know on a personal level where athletes were and, and players were and, and what their changes were about and, and like the meaning and the reason why. If you go to like Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek with his like reason, reason why. So, you know, the next year we kind of pair that back and we go, all right, what is important and if we have a thousand data point data points that get us to a decision, what do ten data points do to get us to ninety nine point nine percent of that decision? And I, I bet you we can get there. And that's really where I guess I learned a lot was how do we how do we be complex with simple? And and I guess that's now my philosophy is more around that, that side of things. So an example I use for that is let's just take distance covered, right? So if I use the America way, I say yards or meters, just distance covered. All right. So how far how far did you go in a session? And we can obviously prioritize that into a program. We can look at, you know, a, a step periodization plan or a tactical periodization plan, whatever you want to use, right? You can you can look at distance covered as a way to do that. So you have what you planned and I would just highlight that, you know, a big philosophy of mine is is being really good at planning and and planning not just to create like a robust athlete kind of don't like the term robust i feel like robust it is a word that means that they're not going to be very agile when they need to be um, or adaptable to change and you obviously don't want a fragile athlete either there's a book called anti-fragile by or is it Hasim talib i think it is don't quote me on that we'll look up later the that kind of you know it, it's a different methodology that book in the application but if you apply it to sports science the way i look like look at it is you really want to create an athlete that's anti-fragile meaning not robust where they can't adapt and not fragile they want to be someone that is adaptable to change you know often often the the toughest athletes to program for are the fringe athletes so if you take afl you know one of the players who's an emergency maybe they play 10 minutes of a game and need to be prepared to play 10 minutes maybe that week they play 60 minutes because they you know someone got injured in the first minute or maybe they don't play at all and then the next week they might play a full game or they might play none and so that there's a, you know, those players are really hard. And the NFL, I would use the example of you have 46 players who suit up for the game. You have a 53-man roster. So there's six players, there's nine players who are missing out. Uh, seven players who are missing out each week. Those seven players, they if they go in, they're going to play special teams, which is basically running as fast as you can multiple times in a game. And then the next week they might be out, and so they don't play. And they might have two weeks out, and then they come in and run as fast as they can for that week. So you can't overload them during the week just in case they play. And then you can't, you know, there's reasons why you can't train them like just after the game because the field's sharp and there's like logistical issues. So they're the fringe players that you want to be like adaptable and they can be malleable week to week that you can change. So that's kind of a, a rationale and context to kind of what I'm talking about now. But yeah, so you have your plans, then you can have your actual. So what what I would do is like I would try and be complex with say distance covered. So Plan versus actual. Okay, what was the actual against their planned? In in most sport, there's positions. So if we're looking at forwards for AFL or 
or rugby or whatever it might be, or soccer. In NFL, you have lots of different positions. So say tight ends, you might have four tight ends on your team. If one of those tight ends is out, you've gone from the distribution of load as 25% each to 33%. So you've increased by a good number of percentage just for that one practice or one week. So I look at the kind of plan for distribution versus the actual distribution. Look at, you know, there's, you know, acute chronic has had its time in the limelight and has been plus or minus, whatever, where everyone sits on that. But, you know, I think it's a great measure to look at, you know, where's this week versus the last four weeks. It gives you like an idea about where things are at, say a monotony and strain. So that's like a seven day where, where are things at within seven days or within one week? Look at MBI. So it's another, met- another statistical method that people slam as well or they're on the train. But let's look at that as well. Like my, my philosophy is not so much uh, there's a golden nugget for how we decide things. In the day, like we talk about the art of coaching, it's also the art of like sports science. So if you, if you look at these numbers every day and you've got those 10,000 hours, there's a, there's, you know, there's a pretty good chance that you know what you're talking about and you have like a, you have the art of sports science in you and your decision making. And so, you know, I'd line all these different ones up. I'd have, you know, it's all marked out in terms of increase, decrease, stable or where things are at and then make a determination about, okay, I feel good about this person. I feel good about the plan. Let's make, let's keep the plan, the plan for tomorrow or for next week, whatever we're doing. And then maybe someone has a couple changes that you're not quite sure on. Okay, now we're distance covered. I'm not quite sure on that. So my next step process in my flow chart is to go to fatigue monitoring with with force plates. So where's my, you know, using Hawken, let's have a look at the, you know, modified RSI. Where are they at for our testing yesterday? Their RSI was great. Okay, I'm I'm not overly concerned. That's my next step, my next tier down. They can keep planned for the next day. And so... To me, it's about kind of being complex with just one number and that's distance covered. So I've, you have know, gone through like a seven stage process of identifying whether I feel comfortable or uncomfortable with that person's process and then and then move on to the next person or the next metric. So instead of having a thousand metrics, maybe I've got 10 that I view as really important in my process tree and then kind of and go from there. So I hope that makes uh, sense. I, I feel like it's about um, setting a framework where you're being more complex with the simple things and then have a decision tree about how you go about making changes. So, and that's, and that's just for the sports scientists, right? And so now, now that we've deduced all that information, how do I elicit change and communicate and provide that stuff? So yeah, really fortunately in Philly, the, the IT guys were like, phenomenal. They actually broke down all the film into black and white and were able to get you know, we're lucky enough to use like Zebra, which was or Zebra in Australia, I think that's right, which is RFID, had a chip in the ball as well. And so for every team play during practice, so NFL scripted really well, whenever they snapped the ball, you would get, basically that's that's the start of a play. And then the, when the whistle blew up, they were able to get the whistle off the film and stop the play. So I know I knew what their distance covered and speeds and all that kind of stuff was for a play during practice. And then I could apply that for every single person and then basically say, okay, if we're scripting our practice tomorrow and the coaches script our practice at night time for the next day, I'm, I'm talking a lot here, but this will make sense. Yeah. Then I can say, okay, well, I want this person to be 5% less. Like that means nothing to a coach. What does mean something is, well, instead of their normal, which is like what they're scripted for, which is 24 plays tomorrow, I want them scripted for 22. And so let's change into 22 plays or let's change into 15. 
And so now, instead of scripting him in those 25 plays, they're scripting him 22, and we get the load that we want. So our planning is really, really good. And our the, the way that we're talking to coaches and, and pushing the information stems back from Neil Craig, right? Like how, how do we talk to coaches in a language that makes sense for all of us? And that means that picking metrics that I understand and that I can interpret and then I can you know do complex with simple, but then also how do I deliver that in a way that's meaningful as well to make decisions. So very long-winded, but that's that's kind of how my process works from a, from a sports science load monitoring standpoint. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. It's a great insight in terms of, like you mentioned, integrating and I guess collaborating with other staff. Is that where the distance covered is quite a useful one? Because I guess it's the coaches can understand it, the athletes can understand it. No matter what the drill is, you're gonna you're gonna accrue distance. Whereas maybe your your highest speed metrics might transfer to some drills, or yeah, take us through. You think? Yeah, oh, I mean, distance covered is important. Don't get me wrong, but you know, we looked at other metrics too, right? So like, you look at high speed running, you look at your, you know, are you hitting max speed? All all those things, acceleration, deceleration. So in terms of on field stuff, that's certainly there as, as as something that's important because it also has to do with number of snaps you play and all those kind of things that. From a coaching standpoint, that's that's one in the NFL particularly is, you know, you get a list of how many snaps people played after the game and that, I mean, that's pretty common. So, you know, that's a great metric to use. It's more of a, just an example about the process. I would do the same thing for high-speed yardage and I'd do the same thing for acceleration, decelerations or whatever as well. So it's more just identifying the process that I kind of go through is like, you know, if we take, you could take, yeah, modified RSI from the force plates too. So we test every single Monday post-game be consistent about our processes there and methodologies, methodologies, then I can go the same level. Okay, let's look at the last five weeks. What did that look like? What's the percentage different difference from last week? Has it gone up or down? What's the trend when compared this week to the last five weeks? What's the what does that like MBI tell us? Is it stable, increase, decrease? How many standard deviations is it is it different? What's our measurement against a fatigue state or our lowest state? So I'm just really stacking like different types of cues to understand this one number and then I can make a decision on that for what's important next to make a change or to not make a change or to communicate you know sometimes the best communication is I've done all this work that looks like is complex and you know doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people but then the thing that I would do is I would have an email and I'd go three dot points bang 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 send so I feel like sometimes and maybe it's not the case so much now but as I was coming through over the last like 10 years or whatever, sports science, it was almost like, how do you justify the value, right? How do you justify the value of uh, using the sports sports tech? It's expensive. Uh, you know, some of the stuff is, is you know, look at look at your you know tracking information. So that's pretty expensive. You try to justify that to a team. You know, I want to spend $50,000 or $100,000. What do we get out of that? There's a lot of justification as to why. Even like a position, like your... You're, you're working for what, 30, 40, 50 grand? How do you justify uh, that salary? And what I really learned in the end, it's actually not justifying it. It's, you know, you can justify that by being really simple with uh, how you deliver it. So, hey, these are the three things that uh, I think are important for tomorrow. Bang, bang, bang. And then all the work you've done is really easy and people know that you know what you're talking about because you're being really simple in the end. And yeah, so I yeah. get that's, that's kind of my process to kind of round it up is, or to round it off is like, you know, you do all this work and it's time consuming, as data management, cleaning information, all that kind of stuff. And then delivering that in a very short, sharp, concise way it is really important. It makes sense. And I think touching on the fact of how important it is to, I guess, add value to the to the program, make an impact through delivering a message in a, in a language that, that the other person's going to understand. 
you mentioned a couple of so MBI and then gravity testing, two terms I haven't heard of before. Oh, urine specific, urine specific gravity, like USG, PT. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then modified RSI, uh, reactive strength index, just a measure of, you can measure as a neuromuscular fatigue. Uh, So for us, we would basically look at has has that changed from, or what has the change been from the week uh, or from the game? And then is the person fatigued or not? Uh, And then how do we manipulate that for their session? So, yeah, one thing that, you know, we we used Hawken at at Philly. And one thing I love about the system is there's a traffic light system. So basically, if if they're two standard deviations down, it goes red and you can say, okay, all right, hey, let's do another test now again. And and they go again. Yep, it's red. All right, great. Let's let's go over to the medical team, have a quick chat about what the progression is or to the strength coach. Hey, let's do some extra warm-up prep with this person and then we'll retest again. Or, you know, they might say, yeah, I'm feeling really sore from the game and maybe that's a recovery session rather than and doing a lifting session. So in order to, you know, that that's one thing that I would say as well is like finding, finding technology that, you know, helps speed up that decision-making process is really important. And so, yeah, from, from that standpoint, from force play standpoint, um, Hawkins certainly did that for me. It was, it was really like, great, I can just traffic light system. And if it's red, then I can like make a decision quickly. That's great. And then we can move on. I don't have to go back and do all the data management, all that kind of stuff. I can just make a decision on the fly and, and go. So yeah, that's a really valuable piece as you start kind of joining all these different texts together. You need things that are kind of helping uh, facilitate change quickly as well. And you mentioned you know, at the start, sort of applying a lot of sport diets and having plenty of data that you're assessing the athletes with, both on their fatigue levels as well as wellness, and progressing and how they're developing as well. When you filtered down, what what, what were some of the things that you started to cull out from the from the program in year two? Yeah, I think you know for me it, it was really about athlete footprint. So so the two things were you know what well, just touched on them was like being able to make decisions quickly with information. And then the the second thing was, and with that, with quickly doesn't mean that you're losing the quality. Quickly means that you can just make a decision fast. So you know, if you if we take Hawken for example, like very accurate and reliable, and then the, the information that comes out of that, you know, is going to be that. So you can make a decision with accurate, reliable information. So that's that's a tick. And the second thing was athlete footprint so how do we uh, get metrics without having an impact on the athletes and how do we do that in a way that isn't impacting their day-to-day movements or if it is how do we get it in a process that they're already walking through the building in a certain way and, and kind of making sure that we get it so one of the things we did instead of trying to have them go to an area to do a questionnaire and you know you obviously toy with i think australian football athletes are probably different to kind of american athletes who aren't used to that but instead of having it on their phones and trying to do it on their phone, we had it set up in the nutrition bar, which I had to walk past to get to the locker room every day. So there's not really a, there's no real add to the process in terms of where they're going. And then it was kind of, okay, let's do, we'll do your questionnaire at that point. So the things that found really important were, yeah, force plate, because I feel like you can really, you can apply that to like your player development. You can apply that to fatigue. You can apply it to kind of performance output and change. And also apply it to like what uh, you want to do from a programming standpoint. Is what you're training working? And apply that to the field. Then from a tracking standpoint on the field, I want to know basically how many reps you're doing and, and what your intensity is of those reps. So having that information is really valuable. And then wellness information. So really just hitting those three big nuggets about what are you doing in the weight room? How do we apply it? What are you doing on the field? And then how are you? And and how we responded to that stuff. So 
you know, the HRV, while really, really good for me from like a understanding standpoint, was, you know, laying, getting, getting 90 players to lay down for three minutes when they arrived at the facility was, was tough. And then, you know, you have different devices now. Like the Aura Ring is amazing in terms of sleep information and in terms of hardware variability. But, you know, having the having some weather every night and being diligent on that, try not to rely on the athletes to do something, try to do things that don't get in the way of them, if that, if that makes sense. From a, a challenge point of view for a sports scientist, you mentioned <clears throat> early on learning how important it is to communicate and build reports that, that coaches are going to read. What are some other uh, challenges that you've faced along the way and some practical tips for, I guess, practitioners to have some awareness around? Yeah, I mean, I think if we just hit the reporting side of things, I think I think having reporting that, you know, one-page report, right? Everyone should be doing one-page reports, keep it really simple, doing dot points, things that are simple to read and understand, but then also setting out reports in a way that has a flow and and kind of a process of reading and, and being able to download the information. So maybe it starts with like the team information at the top and then it goes down into the positional information and then individual information. So like how, how does your report flow and go? And then how, if you're doing graphs, make the graphs apply to what the data is saying as well. So if you're looking at a volumetric, let's use a bar graph. So that's basically like a cup filling up. It's a, it's a volumetric bar graph. Look at intensity. That's a good line graph. Kind of gives a little more difference between volume and intensity so you can change it. If you're doing comparisons between two things, like a radar plot's really good or having a bar graphs together. Like I think as you kind of go into information and then kind of showing that practically, being able to you know, manipulate your graphs and, and show them or tables and show it in a way that is really simple, but then also makes sense, you know, making sure borders are done properly or, you know, titles are in interesting positions or, you know, out of the way, there's little tricks and tips that you can do that make something more readable. And it doesn't mean you have to go crazy with it, but making something that looks clean and has like very solid information that's really easy to read is really important. If you're and, you know, I, I, I mark assignments as well in Tudor for university and it's the same thing. Like the assignments that you read, the ones that are laid out really well are really easy to read and it makes it really easy to mark. And, and it's the same thing. If you're trying to read a report and it's confusing, you just your mind just goes elsewhere and you kind of, you know, like off the side. And so I think from a reporting standpoint, it's being really careful how you report and being really attention to detail and about how you actually put things together and the, the way that you go about it as well. So... I forgot what the question was now, but that's that's one example was report. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, no, just practical tips, I guess, for sports scientists starting out and, yeah, that want to work in pro sport or perhaps are currently working in pro sport and looking to yeah. make a bigger um, impact. You know, time time is really valuable and, and not to underestimate that your time is valuable and and just like being present, right? Like if if you are lucky enough to get an internship or to you know be around for a certain amount of time, be there longer, you know? Like that. There's something about giving up your time and showing that you're dedicated that will get you a job doing that or at least put you in good stead because sometimes it might not be the job at that actual place, but when someone calls them and asks, hey, what's James like? And they go, hey, I mean, he's raw. He's learning the way in terms of football and what he's doing, but man, he was around all the time, always helped, always willing to ask questions. He'd take out the, the rubbish and the trash if you needed to. Like he was just there helping at all times. Like that is enough to to get a job in this industry, especially. So that's what I would say is like if you get in somewhere and you're lucky enough to get in there, be around all the time, ask great questions. No one's going to turn you away for asking questions, but then also be willing to just go the extra mile. Like I, I certainly am a huge believer in people getting paid what they deserve. 
I think we're we're slowly progressing that as a industry, but you know, still see too much where you need you know ten years experience and people are getting paid twenty five grand a year. But if for those starting positions, if you want to get into sport, yes, you're going to have to go above and beyond um, because there are a lot of people who want that same position. So yeah, if you are get in there and show that your time is something that you're willing to give up and and make a change and make and make a difference. And I've always been a huge believer in. You know, just make your boss look better. Um, so if you're at the bottom and your boss is one tier up from you, make your boss look better. If you're, you know, like the CEO is the next person above you, like make the CEO, CEO look better. Like that's that's the, the, your whole job is to make the person above you look better. And that's their job to make the person above them look better. And so if you can help them be better, then you're adding, you're, you're a value add for the team or for the organization or the clinic or the practice, wherever you're at, you're an, you're an ad. And that and that can that's always a good thing. Sound advice. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, in terms of going back to applying the science, force plates, it's something that, you know, is, is make, like GPS has made a lot of inroads in the industry and, and, it's, and their use and, and it's probably at a place now where it's a lot easier to use, like you mentioned, like Holger Dynamics in terms of giving traffic like, uh, feedback and, and the reliability now with the data and, and being able to access it really quickly. What are some key metrics? You mentioned, I should mention mid-thigh pool, something that you like to look at. Uh, what are some other areas that you like to look at? whether it be jump testing or, or just for, for general athlete development? Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I think that's a great question. It's like, uh, you know, you know, what's, what's your end goal, right? And that's that's kind of where I like start is like, what's the reason why? Like, why do you want to test? I think there's like a few different areas you can go. I think we've talked about you're looking at fatigue, you're looking at like professional like performance development or athlete development and progression over time. And then you can also look at like the player development side of things. And I'll just look at like, you know, volume intensity frequency right like how frequent are you testing and then when you the frequency of testing is going to dictate what you look at so from a fatigue side of things like modified rsi is fantastic but it also needs to be something that you're doing frequently like once a week twice a week something that you can really track that quite diligently over time i'm a i'm a big fan of if you're looking at kind of like performance improvement over time actually one, one of our one of our guys at hawken jason lake it's written this article called the ODS system, which is basically output uh, drivers and strategy. So, and, and I love it. I think it's you really want to find out like what, what's the performance output of people, what are the drivers for that output, and what's the strategy they used. And if you can find out those three things, you can really understand the progression of someone and what you need to work on. So, if their strategy is that they're a hip hinger rather than using legs to jump. Let's let's work on that. And what are the coaching cues for that to work on that? If someone uh, has an unbelievable, you know, mid thigh pull and their their peak force uh, is through the roof, but then when it goes to looking at their propulsive force and their kettlebell jump and it's poor, so okay, their peak force is great. We know they have the force there, but they can't jump with it. Okay, let's let's find a way to understand how we can get them to build their jumping prowess. So is that looking at extra plyometrics? Is that looking at cleans and hang cleans and, and you know, snatches, whatever it might be, to kind of gain that explosive edge because they have the force there to use. We just need to use it right. So there's lots of different avenues that you can go down. I don't want to go like too into the weeds with it either. I'll just say for anyone who is listening, like just just reach out. It's something that they are really passionate about and, and I'll share my email and whatnot after, I guess. But it's just, yeah, have a conversation. I'm always available. I kind of it's funny, like I'm still in that elite sport mindset, so like I'm a total grinder, and I've got three kids, so I'm like, well, I'm always awake, 
So, like, I, I love, like, getting back to people. I feel like if I'm not getting back to you in five minutes, I've been hit by a bus. So if you, if you need to get, like, if you want something, then just give me a text or email. I'll get back to you quick. But I think I think from that standpoint, like, it, it's really about the reason why, you know, and then, and then applying different metrics from there as you roll through. So, you know, from a rehab standpoint, how do you go through that rehab standpoint and, and what testing, because, again, you can kind of periodize that testing, right? So, all right, let's start with, like, 20 squats. Okay, we've gone through the squat progressions. Okay, let's go with a land and hold bilaterally. Just dropping for a box, landing and holding, being really simple. So how do you absorb that force? Okay, you can land and hold. All right, now let's do a bilateral jump. Excellent. Next phase, let's do a unilateral jump, like single leg counter movement jump. Great. Let's do a, like, you're stepping through the process of what can you do and what metrics can we look at? And then, you know, then you go for a bilateral drop jump. I idea where you're a single leg drop jump. So you can kind of progress through like a rehab phase in terms of programming that way as well. And what we tend to find is when you improve a performance, your also widens, right? So you can you can jump high or have a greater peak power or peak force, but your asymmetry gets worse. And then you end up maintaining that force, but your asymmetry gets better. But then yeah, right. when you make another improvement, your asymmetry worsens again. And then you plateau, then you get better. And so we see that progression over time. And then once we hit a certain threshold, we can say, all right, we're ready for the next testing battery. So now we'll go to unilateral camera jump, whatever it might be. So got a little bit of the weeds there, but in the day, I think it's more about the reason why you want to test and, and the and the goals that you're trying to achieve. And we can we can retrofit metrics within that that suit that population as well. Fantastic. And um, where do you see uh, load management and uh, technology going in the next sort of five years? Yeah, right. Right question. It's funny because I think we've like, we've seen a big uh, big change in terms of the kind of accumulation of information together. So you see like the you see like the film and or like, the video and say GPS information together and kind of matching those to try and get information out. But you know what I really see is just speed. It's it's being able to quickly do things, but knowing that it's accurate and reliable. And that to me is like, if we can make decisions quickly using technology and the technology doesn't get in the way of your job, it actually helps you make decisions quickly and then moves on. That's one of the things I always say about kind of Hawken is like, you know, this shouldn't take you an hour to do one person and be really cumbersome and you're trying to you're like, man, I don't trust it's, you know, telling me the right information. You should be able to just go, we're doing this, we're moving on. And it should get out of the way of what you're doing, but give you really great insight, you know, valuable information to make decisions objectify your decision making and then let's get on with the rest of the day i've got to treat people we've got we've got a session to get to all those kind of things so to me it's about the speed and the and the and kind of ref, refining that decision making process i guess is kind of the main thing that's going to keep changing over the next five years yeah man it makes a lot of sense it seems like already this year it's sort of moving towards that in terms of yeah reducing the workload rather than increasing the workload for practice absolutely the whole like big data coin has kind of moved on like I think we've all in that position now where there's plenty of data, but it's about like what what's our decision making process now within that that data. We've covered a uh, hell of a lot of information there, so I really appreciate James in, in sharing not only uh, some wisdom but also some stories and insights and practical tips uh, for for sports scientists um, as as well as for the athletes to get a better understanding. Uh, anything before we start to wrap up the show that you'd like to uh, discuss or or uh, elaborate on that, uh, in terms of load management? and effective strategies no i feel like we've we've definitely we've definitely covered our time yeah i'll just say that honestly anyone who would like to reach out and have a chat about any of this stuff or in the profession or 
or Hawker Relay, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, happy to happy to have a discussion about it. So yeah, just feel free to ping me and, and reach out. Fantastic. Yeah, moving into the last three questions, mate. Any pet peeves, anything that fires you up, makes you angry from an, a work-life perspective? Oh, man. No, I, honestly, I'm a, I'm a try to stay between a four and a seven out of ten, stay in that range, especially <laughs> with three kids. So nothing really makes me angry anymore. I guess just people not taking advantage of where they're at and, and just not having like attention to detail is probably my biggest thing. Just, yeah, get after it. you got, you got one life take some risks and, and enjoy what you're doing is probably when people kind of take a step back and they're trying to not like sure like I, I just I'm a big just pull the trigger kind of person go for it yeah love that yeah what about a uh, favorite way to spend a day off oh I mean yeah just with with the kids traveling I love I love going overseas and seeing things and and seeing their reactions to to life yeah being a dad definitely changes uh, your outlook on life for sure yeah 100 percent and we're recording this live uh, interview for those listening to the in, in podcast land in October 2023. What's on the horizon for you, mate? What are you most excited about? Uh, oh, mate, we're actually just finishing house renos at the moment. They're done in two weeks. So we're currently living in a one-bedroom house with a living room. So the three kids are in the living room living, and we have no kitchen or dining room, but a camp kitchen in the porch, washing our dishes at the side of the house. So... To have some running water and a dishwasher is going to be just primo. So, end of the year, and then and then honestly, just uh, yeah, breaking bread in our house and inviting people over for dinner and enjoying people's company and and having great conversations and stuff like that is is really what I'm excited for. To be honest, work done now rather than uh, stressing about December when things don't get done. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Crazy enough, it's ahead of schedule. So, if you want a good builder? I got you. Wow, there you go. You don't hear that very often. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Love that. Well, yeah, thank you again, James, for, for jumping on and having a chat. It's been well over an hour and I've, I've got two pages of notes and no doubt the listeners do as well. You mentioned you're happy to, to anyone to follow up and, and ask questions. Where's the best place to get in contact in terms of socials? And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. those questions. Sure. Yeah. Link, LinkedIn. Yeah. James Haddish. So just reach out. Also, yeah. Instagram, James underscore Hawken Dynamics is uh, my tag there. And then my email is james at hawkendynamics.com. So, yeah, please reach out. And then as long as you're not a bot, I'll, I'll give you my phone number. We can chat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you test that? You've ever had any direct messages or emails? I guess they go straight <laughs> No, no. Yeah. I've, got no, I've got no one in my DMs, mate. I yeah. would just, <laughs> just keep it nice and easy. No, yeah, no just uh, yeah, send me an email and go from there. Yeah, easy. Yeah, for those maybe driving this podcast, don't sweat. We'll add all those links in the show notes. So when you do park the car, you'll be able to access them pretty easily. Thank you for everyone that's tuned in live. If you tuned in halfway, make sure to uh, go to our YouTube channel to listen to the whole recording until we uh, publish this recording on our podcast. Our next live chat is next Friday with Matt Jordan. Uh, that's the 30th of October at 10 a.m. Australian Standard Time. So I look forward to seeing you all then. Thanks again, Jabs. Awesome. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. 
and I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member Rama Davies the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you're having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest, 
or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.